Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 157 for August 14, 2008. DNS problems continue. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway, on the web at www.astaro.com. And by audible.com. For your free audiobook and a whole lot more, visit audiblepodcasts.com slash security now. And by Visa. With every purchase, Visa prevents, detects, and resolves online fraud. Safe, secure, Visa. It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. He's the security guru. And in times like these, it's good to have a friend like Steve. Hello, Steve. <laughs> hey, Leo. I mean, hey, times I like these, I'm not kidding. It seems like the bad guys are winning. It's We have no problem coming up with weekly content. Let's put it that way. Oh, man. There's a lot of material. I, I deliberately didn't tell you something. When we were doing our pre-start of roll chat. You holding out on me again? Again. What's up? This is the first time I've ever <laughs> held, on you. held out on you. Leo. You know what? It's funny because uh, I, I, right before we do this show, I do a, a, a podcast with uh, Roz Savage. As you know, she's rowing across the Pacific. And she's been holding out on me for six weeks. She, we, we knew her electric water maker had broken, but it was all going to be okay because she had a manual water breaker. She told me today, well, yeah, actually that broke six weeks ago too. And it was like, what? She said, well, I didn't want anybody to freak out that I was going to die of thirst. I said, but, but, but uh, are you going to die? She said, no, we're almost. What's she been thinking? She, uh, she, well, the, when she rode the Atlantic, she, uh, the rules of the, it was a race. So the rules of the race required that you use ballast that was drinking water, drinkable potable water. Uh, so fortunately, she, like, like, like safety, wa- safety, safety rules, basically. Rules, basically. Wow. So they're, they're, you know, plastic kind of like Boda bags and, um, and yes. And so fortunately she had to adhere to that rule, even though she's not racing this time and had that and she's been drinking it, but she said it was going to get a little dicey towards the end there. Well, and a little stale tasting, too. I think, you know, some drink in your ballast doesn't really sound very <laughs> No, it doesn't sound. She said, yeah, it tastes a little rubbery. It doesn't sound so good. It's, I mean, it's clean, but it doesn't sound so good. Anyway, okay, well, what's what, your big surprise? My big surprise is just to note that being episode 157. Yes. And being that there's 52 episodes per year and three times 52 is 156. <gasps> wow. This is the beginning of our fourth year Holy of security. Holy moly. Happy anniversary. Yay. And you have not missed. Am I correct to say that you have not missed a week in three years? Never one. Never have we missed one. He's the Cal Ripken Jr. of podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Unbelievable. Wow. That's really great. Our fourth year. Yep. We're into year number four. I can't believe that. That's that's really kind of amazing. I think I proposed this to you when we were in Toronto. You were visiting... Uh, call for help as a guest. Oh, I remember the moment. I remember where I was standing when you you were over on the on on the set. Sort of, if you if you think of the three locations in sort of a triangle, um, where you and and um, Amber would do the opening, and right. then there was the place you went to do the home base uh, call place, for help right? stuff. Yeah, and then Andy's set was the other set, point of the triangle. Exactly. Yeah. And so you were in the, at the at the corner of that triangle of three, and you said, "Uh, 
what would you think about doing a security podcast? <laughs> and I, I remember, well, first of all, I said, a what cast? <laughs> yeah, because I, I was, at that time, I was only doing Twit. Yeah, and yeah. I remember thinking, like, later, it's like, oh, I hope he doesn't bring that up again, you know? Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just had no concept of what it, what it was. or what, And I remember thinking, we're going to run out of stuff to talk about. I've got maybe three weeks worth. You know, but uh, here we are in year four and going strong. Oh, ye of little faith. And with a long list of stuff to talk about still. Actually, the list is growing in the same way that like Spinrite testimonials, there are more coming in than I'm able to read like on a weekly basis. So it's like, okay, we're not running out anytime oh, soon. Well, thank goodness. Well, maybe not thank goodness, but the hackers seem to be keeping ahead of us. They are. And frankly, Leo, I mean, this has been, it's been great for Spinrite for me to have a forum where I could tell people about it. I mean, I mean, I even noticed, as I mentioned to you before, you're using it now as a verb, which really says, yes. you know, I mean, this has been my lifeblood for the last 20 years. Yes. So it's important. To me. Yes. So I'm more than happy to trade, you know, the, everything I know about security for helping to have our listeners understand that there is salvation when their hard drive well, dies. Bless you, Steve Gibson. You know, I ran Spinrite actually uh, last night because um, I've been having kind of flaky, flaky results uh, on the um, on the recording machine. And, really? Yeah, but unfortunately, and this is not the first time I'd run it. Remember, I, I mentioned this before because it's a RAID, uh, it's a RAID uh, uh, zero, yep. and it's been giving me these weird error messages and just it blue screened on me in the middle of a, a twit on Sunday. So I ran it all day Monday, nine hours. Didn't find any errors, though. I ran the uh, number four, right? And you ran it on the drives separately? No. It, oh, a, see, you really, I think you have to pull it out from behind its RAID configuration. Spinrite will allow you to do that. It doesn't modify the drive contents at all. Right, okay. And I would run it on each drive separately okay. because it could be that the controller is masking the errors from Spinrite. That must be it. And it's definitely the case that Spinrite's not really talking to the controller to the drive controller itself. It's talking to the RAID controller. Right. So there's a bunch of magic that Spinrite does in terms of like at the low level of the ATA interface where it like it turns off retries, it, 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 it turns off ECC. It's Aha. able to penetrate and get much, I mean, much more intimate relationship with the drive. That's what happened. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, it's what I get when I boot up <clears throat> the RAID controller says there's an error on the first drive. <clears throat> but yeah. I see no errors in Spinrite. Second time I've run it. That's what I'll do. So I'll spin yep. right the drive individually. Okay. Yep. I'll do that. That's tonight I'll be doing that. I'll let you know how that cool. works out. Yeah. Cool. See, it's nice to have friends in high places. <laughs> well, at least knowledgeable friends. <laughs> I did want to ask you, actually, uh, and I should probably ask you this off the show, but I'm going to do it anyway and put you on the spot. <laughs> you know, we're making the ultimate gaming machine. It's one of the things we're giving away. Uh, really fun. We've been having such a blast doing it. Have you been following I've, us? I've heard some of it. Yes. Colleen is building this amazing box. Yeah. Uh, I do. She's a kick. She's, she is. She, I mean, you know, when you get somebody, who, a girl who can weld and build, yeah. and then and then she, you know, she's never built a, a water cooled system, but she, of course, understands, you know, fluid dynamics very well, and um, and so she's she's done all the research and she's come up with a really great design. Uh, she had her own skateboard design company. I mean, she kind of knows how this stuff works. Uh, I mean, the, she she did the 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 three D uh, you know rendering of this these. Uh, wow. uh, uh, aircraft aluminum skateboards. Anyway, um, but what I would like to ask you is if we could, if we could, if you, if I get you to donate a copy of Spinrite to the, oh, in a heartbeat, of course, of course. Because you know why we really need it. We're we're using Velociraptors, those new ten thousand RPM drives. Uh, yep. that are, they're the fastest drives out there, 
And no, I, I would just give Spinrite, I would give each of those drives to Spinrite before you even start your install and setup. Great there idea. Num- there are a number of people who, who run Spinrite on drives. Just, I mean, even though it's new, they just run it Great so idea. that Spinrite has a chance to just thrash it to death. And, well, hopefully not to death, but you'd rather it then well, yeah. than later. Yeah. So, you know, I should have done that with a TriCaster drive because, you know, we had one drive. I, but the new drive yep. that I put in, I, I should have done that. I will. I'll, that's it's another true. thing. Good preventative maintenance. We're going to have a spin right party tonight, baby. <laughs> we'll spin right everything in the house. But that's kind of the great thing. So thank you. That's a very nice uh, offer. I'm going to try to get all of our uh, sponsors to uh, to donate um, hardware and software for the uh, for the winner. Because, I mean, they're already getting an $8,000 computer. But it's nice to, you know. I mean, they need spin right. they got these. And it's going to be in RAID 0. They need it. Yep. They need it. Hey, before we uh, go on, I want to get the tech news. And I know there's some big security stories. But Lots I also... Yeah, I also want to mention our sponsor, Audible.com. In fact, AudiblePodcast.com is the uh, is the place to go if you're uh, going to get a free book from Audio, which is I from Audible, which is I think a great deal. AudiblePodcast.com/slash/securitynow is the website. It's a long URL. Let me put it up here so people can see it. Um, that is where you go if you want to sign up today and and join audible and you'll get a book and if it does you know if it doesn't work out for whatever reason i know steve is one of those people who says ah no, i don't like i'm not gonna i don't like audiobooks if you're if you're a reader and you may say i don't like audiobooks although how you could be a podcast listener and not like audiobooks would be a little bit of a stretch i think you will in fact let me recommend since we're in the middle of the olympics right now uh john goodbody's unabridged history of the olympics narrated by uh, david davies this is a neat book he was the chief sports news writer for the times uh, and he's covered every Olympiad since 1964. So he's got the the history uh, and the main stories of each of the modern Olympics. A really kind of a neat way to remember heroes of past Olympics, plus, plus a great reference book to have. If you're really enjoying the Olympics, but you know you're in the car, you can't watch the Olympics in the car and your commute, maybe this is a way to keep the Olympics with you. History of the Olympics, unabridged by John Goodbody, our pick of the week. One of 50,000 titles, all kinds of books, business books, uh, fiction, nonfiction, history, mysteries, thrillers, romance, sci-fi, you bet, lots of it, all available to you right now at audiblepodcast.com slash security now. By the way, you can burn it on CD, you can play it on almost any uh, device, even play it on your computer. It's really, and when, when you pick a book, you get it right away. You know, you'll download this in a minute and you'll have it. Audiblepodcast.com slash security now. We thank them so much for their support of security now. All right, Steve, let's take a little look at the uh, tech news. But before we do, what are we going to talk about today? We do have a topic today, right? We got a great topic, actually. We're going to basically talk about the DNS after the patch is what I would title this podcast. Um, as we all, we, we've talked for several weeks about this major um, vulnerability that was discovered by Dan Kaminsky back in February and secret meetings which were held in Microsoft's campus in March which resulted in virtually all DNS servers that were on the Internet having the ability to be patched, that is, patches made available to, to mitigate the, the window of opportunity of, of DNS spoofing exploits. Well, there's been a lot of news since then um, it, because, well, in fact, one Russian researcher has successfully exploited a fully patched uh, much more secure DNS server, uh, Bind 9 with all the latest stuff, because it's harder to do, but 
The question is, is it yet hard enough to, um, to perform a DNS spoofing exploit, a cash poisoning exploit, which we talked about in detail two weeks ago. So we're going to talk about what has happened since and some interesting further steps that can be taken. I'm going to touch on the ultimate, like, potential solution, which is something called DNSSEC or DNS security, which has been churning along for nine years and still hasn't gotten off the ground. I'm not going to go into it in detail because that's a topic for an entire episode all by itself. DNSSEC is very powerful, but it's got some real problems. And then finally, we're going to end up with, okay, like we've all, we've used the term hack before. What I'm going to describe is a way of further strengthening DNS that is like the ultimate hack. It's <laughs> like the definition of the word hack, uh, which we're going to have a lot of fun with. So that sounds um, cool. That's lots great. to talk about, lots of security news as well. All right. Well, let's start with the news. Um, oh, um, yes. Mac OS X got a major and important update. So I just wanted to men- mention that to Mac users. When I turned mine on this morning, it said, oh, we got new stuff. We got an iTunes update and a big security deal. And it had to do the whole shutdown, sort of secret repatch the OS level kind of thing. Ooh, so it was, okay. you know, a big deal. So that happened. Also, we're recording this Tuesday, the 12th. This is the second Tuesday of the month. And this is a mega patch Tuesday. So by the time our listeners hear this on Thursday, this will be old news, but I wanted to make sure, as always, that they pay attention to this. This is a 12-bulletin major security update from Microsoft. Many critical vulnerabilities, remote code, exploit, oh, buff overrun, rah, 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 you know, standard routine. So don't, you know, don't ignore this one. This is a big one. Um, I haven't seen them all because, you know, we're recording this on the day. I did try. I did ask Microsoft to give me a... Uh, a, an update try and they said ah nothing yet it's like okay fine well later day it'll definitely be something so i wanted to mention that also in other security news we you know we've talked about in various contexts the controversial actions that comcast was taking the so-called deep packet inspection where they were selectively dropping BitTorrent connections which got them into trouble right the fcc voted uh three to two against Comcast's doing this. I thought it was interesting that there were two people who thought this was a good thing. It's like, okay, well, at least uh-huh. we got the majority. <laughs> it was it was three to two. Um, and what Comcast, what the FCC ruled was that Comcast violated federal policy by throttling internet traffic for subscribers using BitTorrent file sharing software. Now, Comcast rebutted saying that this FCC network neutrality stance is just a policy statement and not an enforceable rule. So, um, however, then the FCC went, went further and said that Comcast had a motive for its action. You know, Comcast was just saying, well, we were trying to like a, during periods of, of high traffic use, we were just trying to like, you know, let everybody have a fair share. But the FCC said, wait a minute, you've got a motive because users vo- downloading video files through peer-to-peer clients, specifically BitTorrent, could be perceived to be taking business away from Comcast's paid video-on-demand service. Exactly. 
So it's, it's like, anti-competitive. Eh. What they're doing is anti-competitive. They do the same thing in some, well, uh, a Canadian ISP does it with Skype. Right. Totally anti-competitive. It's not about protecting the network. And so, so fundamentally, um, the, 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 you know, people who have observed this have said that the problem was selective enforcement right. against BitTorrent specifically. That is, it wasn't the Comcast was like, you know, throttling back all, u- all high band uses of anything. They were targeting the BitTorrent protocol and deliberately blocking that while allowing other potential high bandwidth applications to just move through without any throttling at all. So anyway, so I guess the I guess the point is that ISPs have rights to enforce terms of service, but they can't. And, you know, the, the, the network neutrality guidelines say you can't selectively enforce bandwidth um, limitations. You've got to do it across the board. Although and while this was a victory, it wasn't really I mean, it was it was they didn't even punish them. Right. There were exactly. There's no penalty whatsoever. So it was just, you know, we're watching you and don't yeah. do that. Don't please. do it. <laughs> and yeah. of course, Comcast has said, but we never did. Uh-huh. We don't do that. Now, in the other really big news that came out of Black Hat, of course, we've been talking about pre-Black Hat conference. We were talking about Kaminsky's presentation, right. which I'm going to go into in detail when we get into to, to the heart of our show. But in other security news, I wanted to let all of our listeners know that I'm aware of the presentation by two guys. There were two security researchers, one with ISS, IBM's Internet Security Systems, and the other from, interestingly enough, VMware. These guys have have a put together a very meaty paper. It's a 50-some-odd pages, I think 54-page paper, where they demonstrate how to bypass Vista's security. This much-heralded ASLR, the address space layout randomization that we've talked about before, and DEP, the data execution prevention, which were like the big deals that Vista was adding to beef up security beyond XP. So two weeks from now, we're going to, that will be the topic two weeks from now, given that nothing else more horrible happens in the right. meantime. Um, and, you know, then the, the, the title of that one will be Vista security bypass question mark. Yeah. So I just wanted to let our listeners know I'm aware of this. So to prevent everyone from having to go to grc.com slash feedback and tell me, Hey Steve, you know, Vista security has been bypassed. Uh, we're going to look at that. There is some, there are two sides to this and we're going to take a balanced position rather than going all crazy and saying the sky is falling. You know, how serious is this? How does it work? What does it mean? And is this really a problem sort of deal? So we'll yeah. take a look at that in depth in two weeks. It would be a shame. I mean, Vista has actually been much, much, much more secure than XP uh, for the last 18 months. I'd be very sorry to hear that it wasn't as secure. But I'm I, uh, so we'll look forward to that as a couple of weeks hence. And that's a perfect, a perfect segue to my tomorrow or, or to, to, to my further saying that, yes, and it's one of the arguments against this being a big deal is that this isn't sudden. This doesn't suddenly make Vista a lot less secure. Vista's more secure for many reasons, sort of a whole a whole, you know, um, landscape of things that were done better. But the question is, how much less secure does this make it? Right. Right, right, right. And finally, I got a really nice note from a, a Security Now listener, um, Neil Abrams in the UK, 
wrote about his experience, actually his whole experience with GRC, which no one has ever really mentioned explicitly before. He said, hi, Steve and team. Kudos at the speed, quality, and ease of use of Spinrite 6.0. By day, I'm an IT consultant. So naturally, I'm looked to by the family to sort out the problems. I got a call from my virtual father-in-law, and I'm not quite sure what that is. But, you know, he's a computer guy. Maybe, so he has a, maybe he's virtually married. I don't know. He has a virtual father-in-law saying the family laptop could not boot up and that they had tried the recovery options such as safe mode, last known good configuration, and so forth, those boot-up time options in, in XP. On receiving the laptop, I immediately removed the drive and inserted it into my USB drive caddy so I could access photos and documents that had not been backed up before moving on to fix the Windows installation. I ran into the first problem when my desktop would not recognize the drive. I also checked it on my laptop, and still no drive was recognized. By this point, I assumed the drive was physically damaged and that I couldn't recover any data whatsoever. To check that theory, I put the drive back into the laptop, the original laptop, and booted into its BIOS to check that the drive was being recognized. And sure enough, it was. Having been a Shields Up advocate and then becoming Security Now listener when it first began, I immediately thought that if the drive could be seen by the BIOS, then Spinrite could fix it. And of course, that's proper logic. So he says, I logged on to GRC, purchased and downloaded my first copy of Spinrite 6.0 and installed it to my USB flash drive. I plugged the USB into the laptop and booted that into Spinrite, into the Spinrite program. I chose the level 2 option and 20 minutes later, it had finished. On reboot, Windows started up and I was able to log on and back up the data, albeit very slowly. The service and quality of the website in terms of simplicity, and he's talking about GRC's website, in terms of simplicity, ease of payment, and download facilities is what makes GRC a world-class business. In less than five minutes, I was running the Spinrite recovery and had the problem resolved in 20. Smiles all around from everyone. Cheers, Neil Abrams in the UK. That's neat. It's not an easy thing to do to make a usable website. And nowadays, I tell you, it's uh, the pros get involved in this, and you did it all by yourself. I think that's great. Yeah. Well, you know, Pretty I good. wanted it to be mine, so. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm the same well, way. Well, NIH. Yeah. We're very, we're very old-fashioned, you, you and I, in that regard. Yep. Um, there were some other, you know, you could probably have done a whole show on DEF CON. I mean, there were some other things. Um, did you see the Medico lock hack? That was amazing. You know, these medical, they're, they're like twice as expensive, these Medico locks, because they're unhackable. And for some reason, there's something about software hackers that they really liked a little hardware hacking and lock picking as, you know, kind of a relaxation. Right. They lock pick. Right, right. Did you ever do that? They have lock pick contests and stuff. Oh, I, I, I can pick a lock. Yes, yeah, I, I knew it. I, I had my youth. <laughs> That's what it's find, I find it fascinating. It's very, very common among uh, geeks that they, that they did safe cracking and lock picking, too. Yeah. I don't know why that is. But anyway, uh, these Medico locks are, I'm sure these Medico people hate DEF CON. Hate it. <laughs> so they showed how you could just get a low-res picture. You know, use your camera phone. It takes a picture of somebody using their key. You don't have to have a great picture of the key. And then they showed how you can blow it up and use it to cut out a credit card and, and actually open the door with his credit card. I mean, it was kind of pathetic. 
I thought, boy, that's uh, that's. I mean, it, this is what's interesting about technology is really advanced the abilities of uh, hackers. And then there was another presentation which the po- folks at the, the MTA must hate: uh, uh, the uh, how to hack the Boston subway cards, and the, with a cloning attack, so you can ride for free forever. <laughs> and of that's course, what makes it, it, it really is those kinds of things, and and the diversity of them are one of the things that make DefCon so fun. It must be fun. Have just, you ever gone to that? Nope, I never have. I, I have. I've certainly read the reports that come from it. Though. You and I should maybe next year we can sneak in. That'd be cool. We don't have to sneak in. I don't we can go. No. no, we don't have to sneak in. <laughs> uh, Patrick Norton used to go all the time. He said, I, "I'm not." I said, "Bring a laptop, and you can you can call us." He said, "Are you kidding? I'm not bringing a laptop to test." <laughs> <laughs> I remember him saying that. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Those guys are crazy. Like, you know, uh, I'm not getting online there. Uh-uh. Uh, maybe if you brought a laptop, you'd bring your Astaro uh, security gateway along with you, and you <laughs> you could protect yourself. That would be an interesting. That would be an interesting test. Bring the uh, Astaro security gateway. Let's take a break and uh, mention the Astaro security gateway. Then I want to talk about this DNS. These DNS. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, security issues that have come up again. Um, Astaro is, of course, uh, our sponsor. Has been for years now. We're in our third, fourth year. They've been with us for two out of those three years that we've been on the air. A little more than two, almost since the very beginning. Astaro makes the ultimate in uh, hardware security gateways, UTMs they call them, Unified Threat Management Boxes, relying on the best in breed of commercial and uh, open source software to give you everything you want. Version 7 includes encryption and decryption transparently at the box, digital signature of emails, this is based on SMIME and OpenPGP, and you can define user groups to automatically encrypt and or sign email through the central system. Your, your users don't even know it's happening. They don't have to worry about it. All incoming and outgoing mail is verified and forward through virus. Incoming and, did you hear that? And outgoing through virus and content scanners. So, you, you know, it's so embarrassing when a company gets a virus internally and then starts sending it out. It's not merely to protect you. It's to protect your customers. Uh, you might also want to check out uh, the fact that they've got SSL <clears throat> VPN, which is very cool. Uh, oh, it goes on and on. Three different kinds of antiviruses. Of course, a great firewall intrusion protection. Find out. Just uh, get a get a uh, demo unit for free by calling 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O. That's 877-427-8276. 877, the number 4, Astaro. And for non-commercial users, absolutely free. And that includes the, uh, the Astaro up-to-date subscription, too. So you get all of that. And you can put it on your own box or get a VMware appliance that does it. ASTARO.com slash security now or call 877 the number four Astaro. We thank them so much for their support of security now. So thank goodness that two weeks ago, Steve, you gave us an update on how DNS works. Because then and then we actually it was, it was more than it was four weeks ago. Because then we talked about this DNS flaw and the fit and how it worked and the f- presumable fix. Well, now there's a the fix is broken. Well, okay, yes and no. Um, we, as, as we really covered clearly and carefully two weeks ago, DNS was literally never designed to be secure. Like all the original protocols, it was designed just to work. And back then, just the fact that it did work was a miracle. I mean, they couldn't believe that, they, that like this whole notion of autonomous packet routing was ro- as robust as they designed it to be, where you just stick a packet on anywhere on the internet with a unique 
destination IP, and it just finds its way there, kind of all by itself, yeah. with the help of routers bouncing it from you know from from one router to the next, and it ends up at its destination. So, so you know, DNS was so insecure, and, and I don't even like to use that word because it was just never security was not part of anyone's thinking back then, and I remember reinforcing that by saying you know SSL the the really cool layer on top of TCP that the Netscape guys added it didn't exist in the beginning there was no way to encrypt communications on the original internet that was an afterthought and similarly DNS had no virtually no spoofing protection because the servers at the time would would at, would open one outgoing port and would use it for emitting all of their queries, meaning that all of the responses would come back to the same port. And the 16-bit transaction ID was just a counter that counted up linearly to help the server um, determine which, when replies were coming back, which to help them match up the replies with the queries. So the fact that it used a fixed outgoing port for its queries and that it used a linearly increasing counter meant that faking or spoofing replies was child's play. So because that was a hole that was just too big, one of the early improvements in DNS was simply to change that 16-bit counter into a 16-bit pseudo-random number. So that value would be jumping all over within a 16-bit space which we know is 64K or 65536, in an unpredictable fashion, hopefully unpredictable. In fact, there were some pseudo-random number generators that were not sufficiently unpredictable. And so an another attack was getting a few um, queries from a server and using those to sort of lock on to its pseudo-random number generator and, again, being able to spoof replies and poison the DNS cache and res and 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 produce all kinds of mischief that we know follows from, from DNS cache poisoning. So, so what happened in what, what Dan's realization was, and I should, I should mention his, his um, black hat talk uh, was everything we expected it was. There was nothing that he revealed that hadn't already been independently reverse engineered just from the knowledge that there was a problem, which I think is really interesting. All he had to say, as he did in early July, was, there's a big problem. We're not going to tell you what it is. Wait a month, and I'm going to let everybody know in Las Vegas. Well, you know, a couple weeks later, everyone had guessed. And, and just by virtue of the way the net works, people improving on each other's guesses, they figured it out, built a proof of concept, released an exploit, <laughs> and it it's, was possible. It's pretty amazing. How the it net really works is. that way. You can't, you know, people think it's kind of like the old days you can keep a secret. You you really can't. No, and in fact, all it took was just people knowing there was something. Right. And, and so they thought, hmm, what hmm. could it be? Yeah. And you think it could be this? And some people say, no, because of that. And okay, uh, how about this? Oh, now that's interesting. How about maybe if you made it green, then it would work better. So, <laughs> I mean, it just, you know, it just happened. And this thing was was born with Dan saying nothing. Now, Dan's talk did evidence, however, that he had been thinking about this a lot longer. So, and as sort of the buildup to this, he pushed the limits of what it means for DNS to be broken, you know, as badly broken as 
as as he discovered it was in February. Right. And I mean, it 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 really was badly broken. It's it's cool when you think about it that this well, cool in a certain twisted sort of way. <laughs> cool, yeah. cool that, that something this bad hadn't been independently discovered until something was known to be wrong and right. then it was found. Right. Because, I mean, it turns out that when H.D. Uh, Moore added this exploit technology to his Metasploit framework you, and m- making it very command line runnable, you could basically poison an arbitrary domain on an arbitrary name server in 10 seconds. Now, wait a minute. You just said somebody's name and somebody's Metasploit. What are you talking about? Um, H.D. Uh, Moore was one, um, uh, is, is the guy, the hacker, who maintains the Metasploit framework, which is a very mature, sophisticated, growing over time framework that hosts exploits. And so it's sort of a, it, it just provides an easy way of like adding a, a small bit of code to do the work side of an exploit where the rest of the foundation is sort of there. And so, um, so this is that there are traces on the internet, you know, sample runs of, of giving a command to take over to like poison the name cache on a, uh, on a DNS resolver and you see it running and you see it saying, okay, doing 10,000 queries, testing, doing 10,000 queries, testing. So what he would do is he would, he would blast a bunch of queries, send a bunch of spoof responses, and then ask that name server for the, the, the targeted name server for the record he was trying to replace, see whether he'd succeeded, and if not, do it again. And it would take, like in one case, like 13 iterations of this over the course of maybe 10, 15 seconds and it would say success. Wow! And you would see that it, that that server was now returning the fraudulent, deliberately inserted, um, replaced record from its cache. Mm. So, so, so that was ten to fifteen seconds. We knew that the best we could do was to use source port randomization as I described two weeks ago, to essentially give us more bits. The idea is if we, all we can do, if the, if the source port is fixed, then the only thing the attacker doesn't know are the 16 bits of transaction ID. So you just guess a lot, and because there aren't that many combinations of 16 bits, you're going to get a collision. So, and, and the collision meaning that you guessed the transaction, uh, the transaction ID of a an outstanding query that that server is waiting to have a reply from you pretend to be the replier the the authentic replier and your your malicious re, uh, reply is accepted as being valid so we want more bits so what they did was they said okay well we can't change dns we can't change the protocol but we need more bits so they said oh let's use source port randomization that'll give us a bunch more bits, depending upon the specific configuration, as many as another 16. You actually lose some because you, uh, many um, systems can't allocate ports down in the so-called service area, the first 1024 ports. And other configurations just have problems randomly allocating UDP ports all over the remaining space. For example, Microsoft's DNS server reportedly now, the, the new updated version, allocates about 2,500 
ports. It like pre-allocates them and then those it uses. Well, 2K is 11 bits. So that's giving us essentially an additional 11 bits in, um, on top of the 16. So, so we get, what, 70, 72 bits total. So that's a lot more. It makes the, atta- it makes the old attack 2,000 times harder. But, but not yes, impossible. That's the point, right. is we want more bits. We're getting as many bits as we can within the existing framework. So, so what happened was late last week, um, um, a Russian physicist, uh, doctor, uh, looks like, uh, I, I, I have to practice his name. I have been practicing it now. Now I look at it. I had the same issue on the radio. <laughs> E-V-G-E-N-I-Y. Yevgeny. Yevgeny. And it look, look, looks like Polyakov, maybe P-O-L-Y-A-K-O-V. Sure. That's good enough. anyway he blogged on on friday that um that he had used two machines on a gig ethernet so closely coupled to the name server meaning a ton of queries and replies far more than you would in any normal circumstance well and and difficult arguably very difficult across the internet, right. but it took him 10 hours. Yeah. In 10 hours, he got a collision on a state-of-the-art, recently fully patched version 9 of Bind with it had source port randomization and strong uh, transaction ID uh, pseudo-random um, number generation. So, you know, a state-of-the-art Bind took him 10 hours. So his point was that, okay... That's hard to induce that across the internet because of the number of packets required. But a compromised Trojan operating inside of an organization or inside of an ISP has that kind of intimate connection to the DNS server, meaning that an overnight or over weekend, meaning sort of like when no one's really paying attention, attack could succeed. And so basically we're seeing a proof of concept that, yes, it's no longer 10 seconds, it's now 10 minutes, and only on an intimately connected environment where you've got, you know, a lot of bandwidth available. And and the people that have been, have been countering this argument says, yeah, if you saturate a gigabit Ethernet, people are going to people are going to notice yeah. you, know, you got you got lights blinking and wires smoking. It's not exactly a surreptitious attack. It's not very subtle. No. So but so but that has spawned then some follow on dialogue. I did want to respond to a couple of things. I wanted to, I want not to forget to tell our listeners that I've got a bunch of links on this episode's show notes. Um, and they're actually, they're online right now, Leo. So you can tell uh, Dane uh, and Tony that they can grab them um, Great. And, Great. And, and, and move them to your site also. Um, I've got a link to Dan's, the PowerPoint presentation that Dan used, Dan Kaminsky used uh, at the Black Hat conference. Um, and also a link to this this uh, Russian physicist's page where he describes it and it and all of the follow on you know blog replies which are in, uh, which make an interesting read as well. Um, and there's one other link I can't remember what it was, but I think there were there were three there. So I've got stuff up there on our on our show notes for this week that people may find interesting. One of the things that that Dan Kaminsky said I sort of take issue with, but he has a point. 
And that is, he talked about how even SSL, our, our much beloved secure sockets layer protocol that we depend upon for authenticating and encrypting our connections. We authenticate in as much as we check the certificate of a site we're connected to to verify that this is really them. And we know that it, it completely scrambles our, our, our communication. So we're not, no one can, no man in the middle, nobody intercepting our traffic or listening passively to our traffic is able to, to obtain the, um, the data that we're sending in the clear. So Dan, I think trying to make a little more of a deal, big deal about DNS than is warranted was saying that, you know, SSL depends upon DNS. That is to say, everything depends upon DNS. Well, okay, the, the, where I agree with him is the point is, yes, that's true. Nobody uses IP addresses. I mean, not a, obviously, I don't mean that in an absolute sense, because we were talking last week about how using an IP address to access a test to see if your DNS was poisoned would be a good thing to do because you can't spoof an IP address. On the other hand, IP addresses are too static. And so there are problems associated with using an IP address, aside from the fact that they're hard to memorize and, you know, nobody, you know, pe people know grc.com and twit.tv. They don't know our IP addresses. Right, right. Exactly. So, so technically he's right. My argument is that if, if DNS had been spoofed, then the the bad guys who were trying to spoof your connection and were and and to whom you were connecting, if you believed you were setting up a secure connection to a remote site that had been spoofed, well, your certificate protects you from that. That is the fact that you're able to check the remote site's certificate and verify that it's really them. And we talked about you know. For example, spoofing sites simply would not bring up an SSL connection during logon, whereas a legitimate site, a legitimate site would do so. So, so technically, you are protected from spoofing as long as you're aware that, that you need to have a secure connection and you check to make sure that the certificate you've received is really theirs. Now, where Dan is right is that, okay, well, what about the way they got their certificate or the way you got your updates to your certificates or your, your root certificates, for example? I mean, his point was since ultimately, like ultimately, 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 everything is relying on DNS, this notion of, of root of trust is subverted, the, the idea being a certificate authority is a trust route. It's it's something you you ab you know I'm trusting Verisign or or Network Solutions or GoDaddy to to really you know to check to make sure that these are valid certificates they're issuing. And so we we've talked about you know certificate chains. Well, that's a chain of trust where at each step you have enforceable trustability. Therefore, when you get to the end of the chain. As long as all the links are trustable, then the result is trustable as long as the root is trustable. So he's saying, okay, except that ultimately all of those things that came before relied on DNS. And if DNS is not fundamentally trustable, then nothing else can be. And so it's like, okay, I, you know, 
or granted, except that we have to assume, I mean, I do assume that when Microsoft is sending me a certificate batch update, we know that that their updates are encrypted and we know that they're digitally signed and we know that, that that can't be spoofed. So, you know, it's like, yes, you know, pedantically, everything relies on DNS. Practically, while it's, you know, th- this is a bad problem, I wouldn't go so far as to say that SSL is compromised by DNS being compromised. That, I mean, it requires a little too much stretching, you know, from, from, from theory to, to reality. Well, so... Uh... This, but you know, I have to say these kinds of attacks often are just the precursor to a fast. Remember this? It took for a while, a long time to do web, and then they got faster and faster and faster. Does it seem reasonable that they might get faster, or is it just really? I mean, you got so many bits now. What is it? Seventy-one bits. Well, and and so that's where we're going to go next with this discussion is the 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 fact that we've done well. The question is, have we done well, well enough? enough? Yes, okay. our clever hack coming up. Because, I think. Well, not yet. We're, okay. we're, we're gonna, there. Are, we have we have a few other things that are are interesting things that people are discussing. Okay. So so first of all, um, someone has proposed that that queries be and actually the engineering term is debounced, um, uh, which I think is sort of a funny as a funny term in this case. The idea being that you double query the you know you make a query and you get the response. But you don't ret- we don't trust it until you query again, and the idea being that simply querying again and requiring, you know, essentially debouncing or or you know despoofing the query if you got a different answer because you got the right one either time, either the first or the second time, then you say, whoops, wait a minute, this is suspicious, and then you you engage some like you know deeper querying logic where. You look to see if there's a lot of replies coming in, or you look, or or, or you issue a more queries and do some majority voting sort of approach. And the argument against that, I thought, was really interesting because it tells us a lot about where DNS is in the world. Okay, double just doing two queries would obviously double the amount of DNS traffic. It would double the load on the on the resolvers. Those doing the querier, the querying, and on the authoritative name servers, those providing the authoritative records. We don't have a hundred percent spare capacity in our DNS network today, so we don't, we can't even double the number of packets that we're sending. DNS servers are so busy. And their links are so near saturation that they are more than half full. They are more than half capacity. And so even something like double querying, we don't we we cannot do. There's just we there isn't the capacity in the existing internet DNS to allow for that. So that automatically rules out the next idea, which was okay. This whole problem is from spoofing, and UDP protocol is infinitely spoofable because nothing prevents you from putting whatever source IP you wish into an outbound packet. Well, okay, not having raw sockets prevents you, but 
Unix systems and Linux systems um, do allow have do allow full raw sockets and allow you to uh, the programmer to build any pack that they wish and send it out on the line. So so within you know with those limitations, UDP is absolutely spoofable where TCP is not. As we've talked about and understood TCP protocol, the whole overhead of that three, the so-called three-way handshake, where we send a SYN packet to the, the place we want to initiate a connection, they send a SYN ACK back, which is their SYN and, and acknowledging ours, and we send a final ACK back to them acknowledging their SYN. So that three-way handshake, three packets, that establishes counting for the packets that will follow, then you can send a query and receive a reply. Then you've got to say, I'm done now. So you send a fin packet and they respond with a fin ack. Well, that's if you can if you count all those, three to initiate, two to shut down, plus two in the middle for the query and the reply, you're at seven packets. So you've gone from two packets, a simple UDP query and reply, to a seven packet exchange. Now there's actually a way to save one because it's a not little a little known fact in the TCP protocol is that you are able to send data with your first ACK. So that would cut out that that means that when the querier is sending its ACK back to the server, it could include its query with that if the stack at the receiving end was fully TCP spec compliant and. It's not clear whether they are or not, so it's generally not done. But even then, you're at six packets, which is three times the number of packets required to make your your normal UDP query and reply. So that's even worse than do, you know using TCP is is worse than just double querying. So finally, the issue of DNSSEC comes back up. Now DNSSEC, DNSSEC is the acronym for DNS security. This is a very complex, very sophisticated sort of next generation secure DNS which has been bubbling along, simmering for about 9 years now and it just it never seems able to get off the ground. A couple times the, the the various groups have attempted to ratify it and lock it down and say, okay, this is what we're going to implement. Then they start looking at the at the implementation cost in the real world and and inevitably back off again and say, oh, wait a minute, uh, that means that if the root server changed its private key, it would have to send out 22 million copies of its public key. You know that kind of thing. I mean, it's like, oh, okay, that's not good. How do, how do we fix that? So the problem is DNSSEC is, is what we're going to end up with ultimately because on, on the level of you know, pedantic um, purity, Kaminsky is right, that everything relies on DNS ultimately, and if we don't have a, a strong foundation of trust, nothing we built on top of that non-trustable foundation can by definition be trusted. So, so there's work towards DNSSEC, and we're going to give it a complete episode because it's very sophisticated. But here's the, the, the fundamental problem. It is a public key technology, the idea being that 
that it signs, DNSSEC signs for authentication purposes, queries, or they, you sign responses to queries so that the receiver of the response is able to check the digital signature of what it's received from the authoritative name server to verify its correctness. Interestingly, they do not encrypt the data. So it's it's sniffable, but the presumption is all this is is an IP address. So everywhere and that's public information. So let's not spend any time encrypting what is already, you know, publicly known. So um, it is, however, authenticated and digitally signed. Well digital signing requires a a, a public key process which has substantial processor overhead. So in addition to making the packets a little bit larger, the, 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 both the sender and receiver, the sender would have to generate the digital signature, the receiver needs to verify it. And so again, we're talking about substantial new overhead added to an existing structure. And for that reason, it just, they can't get off the ground. Um, uh, John Markoff, uh, writing for the New York Times recently, um, noted that several governments, Sweden and Puerto Rico, have adopted DNSSEC, and the United States, our government, is likely to deploy it at least for the .gov domain. Yeah, in official capacity, where you have lots of money and a real strong need for security. Exactly. And essentially, you're ta- I mean, if this were something you were doing from the beginning, this is the way to go. So you can you can imagine, you know, a, a, a smaller um, infrastructure like you, you may have in Sweden and Puerto Rico or or just determination. They say we decided this is important. We're going to implement this. And so it means replacing the existing iron with much stronger iron and maybe, in fact, adding hardware accelerators for SSL I'm sorry for for you know uh, PKI uh, public key infrastructure acceleration so that you're able to offload some of this in the hardware. I think it is clear that we're going to see an increasing market for hardware acceleration of public key operations moving into the future because this is the way to secure things that wh- where your traffic is eavesdroppable, where you know wh- where it is possible for someone to to see what it is you're sending. As we've discussed before, the public key technology solves that problem. Right. So um, there is one really, really clever solution that we'll talk about next. <laughs> the clever hack solution. Oh, this is a hack. This is a hacker's hack. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about it in a second. Before we do, I want to mention that this show is brought to you by the good folks at Visa. You know Visa. I talk about Visa all the time. That's what I use when I shop online is what you should use when you shop online, too, because it eliminates your fears, your worries of online fraud. Now, there's two there's different kinds of online fraud. There's somebody using your credit card fraudulently in your name, but there's also going out and buying something from somebody who is a ripoff artist. You shouldn't have to worry about either one of those things. And Visa backs up your purchases. That's what's so great. They prevent, they detect, they resolve online fraud using very real, a very sophisticated real-time fraud monitoring software. They back up your purchases so you know, you feel confident going online and shopping. And really, it's the, it's the, it's, this is the, the grease that makes online commerce possible. We're, we all really ought to say thank you, Visa, 
Because if it weren't for that, if it weren't for that notion of zero liability, you're just not liable for unauthorized purchases. Um, I, you know, I don't know if online commerce would even exist. Fortunately, it does. Fortunately, Visa exists. So use your Visa card when you shop online. That's peace of mind. Safe, secure Visa. I'm sure, I, I bet you anything that's, that Steve Gibson, when he shops online, uses his Visa card. I know why. That's do. all. That's all I use. As a matter yeah, of fact. Yeah. I mean, because well, let's we we won't go into it. <laughs> I saw you with your wallet the other day. By the way. <laughs> yeah, that was a dumb thing to do, huh? <laughs> I just wanted to prove that I use visas, so I pulled out my cards, and I have some debit cards. Those are visas. I have some credit cards. Those are visas. That's what I use. But I I hid the number, Steve. Uh huh. Apparently not. Well, they say I didn't. They say they say I guess the first four digits are a given on a credit card. You don't you can guess those. But I hid the first eight digits. They don't think they think I they so uh, okay. I'll check my bill. I <laughs> <laughs> don't have to worry. It's Visa. It's Visa. I'm not worried. So um of course if you do it willfully, that might be <laughs> they, might, they might be a little bit different. So what is this what is this? I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm oh. dying to hear this 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 hack, this workaround. This is this is the galactic hack. <laughs> I, I I don't know if I can think of something that is more a hack, more like sort of like oh my goodness, but clever. And so I mean, this is the definition of a hack, and it works without any additional overhead, without any additional packets, without any additional anything within the existing infrastructure wow. of DNS. Wow. So, and remember that, as I said, toward the beginning of the show, what we, what we want is more bits. The idea being we want, we want the query that, that, the, that, the, that the resolving name server sends out to contain more entropy, more bits of randomness, which the responder will be able to easily send back, such as the, the, the matching um, uh, query ID and the matching port number, um, but also something else. What more could it possibly send back within the existing definition of DNS? Okay, get a load of this. This is hack of the year. All right. It's, it's referred to as the 0x20 or the 0x20 hack. Is that the hex? Is that like hex 20? Yes, that's hex 20. 0x20. Is, right? is well, actually, um, that's very good, Leo. Hex 20. Wait a minute. Uh, is yeah, that it hex? Is. Yeah, hex 20. But this refers to the 20 bit because ah. that, is the, that is the difference in an ASCII representation of text between uppercase and and lower right. case. You add you add that a bit and uh, and it's uppercase. The twenty. For example, yeah. forty one and sixty one are the hex for upper and lower case A. Right. Right. The difference being that twenty bit. Right. So get a load of this. The DNS spec, the original RFC that everybody wrote to and coded to and follows, says that case is not significant but it will be preserved, meaning that, and you'll notice this, I, you can do grc.com in all uppercase or grc.com in all lowercase or grc.com in any random combination of upper and lowercase, and you get to grc.com. 
And I noticed that like twit.tv is capital T, capital W, lowercase i, capital T, right? Right. Um, and that works. The point is case doesn't matter. But in a DNS query and response, case is preserved, meaning that when I issue a query, the response I get comes back with the same case of the, al- of the alphabetic characters as I issued. Yet the, the, the authoritative name server that is checking to see if it's got a match within its records, it ignores the case, doesn't care if the alphabetic characters are upper or lower to find the match. That gives us more bits. Oh, that is clever. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that just incredibly cool? What it means is that the querying server can randomly upper and lower case all the alphabetic characters in its query. So, you know, we got www.domainname.com. So we've got, okay, www, there's three. Com is three more alphabetic characters, plus however many alphabetic characters are in the name. And more if you're several, if you have several domain, you know, dotted domain names. All those characters can have a random case. They will go to the resolver that will, I'm sorry, they will go to the authoritative name server that will ignore your wacky casing that you've done because it's case insensitive yeah but it will return your it will return in its reply it returns the same case that you sent it which means you can view the you the querier who are who is trying to be spoof resistant can verify oh it was the same one you sent yes but wait a minute numbers dotted quads are all the same case How, how would it reply in a different case well, okay. Um, the the idea is in in the query goes the domain name. Oh, in addition to. In addition to. Okay. So that it. So the domain name basically the response echoes the query and it adds the answers. So you get back what you queried as plus, part of the answer. Plus the plus, dotted exactly. quad. But now, plus if somebody's addition. in the middle, if they're doing a man in the middle, they're going to see your randomly capitalized query. So can't they just copy it back? Oh, Leo, DNS is completely hosed by man in the middle. Oh, man in the middle. Oh, this is, doesn't protect against that. This no, okay, no. In fact, in fact, man in the middle is a single query attack. Right. Because right. if okay. you're able to see the query and block the reply, right. you simply respond because you With know whatever exactly, you want. Right. Exactly. Okay. So, I mean, all right. All right. And, and so, so this only so is good against cash poisoning. Well, this is good. Well, and which is the problem that we're trying to solve. This is good against a third party trying to do, tr- trying to guess queries right. you know, and in order to spoof replies. Right. What this means is the query is now much more difficult to guess by the number of alphabetic, you know, two to the power of the number of alphabetic characters in the name being queried. So, for example, there could easily be 10 alphabetic characters. WWW and COM gives us six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So even a four-letter domain would give us 10 additional bits. Well, 10, that's another 1,024 possibilities. So we've just added 10 bits to, of, of, of difficulty l- looking up www and a four-letter domain, and many domains are much longer than that. So it's just, I mean, that is a hack. 
I mean, it's like it's ugly, but it works. <laughs> so uh, this is something you'd obviously have to patch the DNS servers to do. You don't have to patch the authoritative name servers. That is to say, they're already programmed to re- to echo the incoming packet's case and ignore the incoming packet's oh, case. Oh, so it only would have to be the querying servers you'd have to change. Right. So, I mean, just as we, we, we just changed the querying servers this month so that they would do reliable source port randomization. So we would just need to change them again if the decision were made or if anyone wanted to make the decision. Or you could imagine this would be, you know, all this stuff is open source in, in right. the case of bind, for example. So you could have a bind compile time flag saying, I want this server <laughs> to employ the 0x20 hack. And then your build of your bind would issue queries with random alphabetic case on all the alphabetic characters and make thus making itself far more difficult to spoof. And the beauty is it would automatically work with all the other servers on the net that don't need to be changed. So this is something that individual, for example, bind users, companies, ISPs, and users could easily do when that when this is an available t- compile time or runtime option of bind that just makes that one server much more resistant to spoofing. Easy thing to add. So it, but it would be Apache. You'd have to change the send, and you'd also have to remember that and and uh, the query and 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 look at the result and make sure that they matched. But that's an easy. Right. So compare. so that's we're talking. Exactly. We're talking additional code already. Obviously, there is code which verifies that the incoming uh, port and the incoming transaction ID match up with what's expected. So you just increase the expectation to verify that the incoming reply had a had had case of its alphabetic characters that matched what, what you sent out, which is what you were expecting right now. No servers, as far as I know, care. So all you need to do is to add that they care about matching returning response case and then randomize your outgoing case, and you've got a much harder to spoof server. Just you. You don't need anything from anybody else. Your server is now substantially more difficult to spoof. I really like that. So that so, so, so cool. Is, is there any move to do this, to implement this? It's too early. This is just on, hot on the wires right now. Wow. People beginning to talk about this. It's like, hey, you know, why not? It's it, more bits. It, I, I presume that there's some sort of a process where people would want to vet it and think about it and really see, oh, does this really work? Would it really solve the problem? And, of course, always with fixes like this, there's always some phys- physicist named Yevgeny Polyakov who's going to come along and say, oh, yes, but <laughs> we just this do would, this. this would, well, okay, so counter arguments. What about, like, all numeric domain names? Okay. Well, fine. I don't know of any that I've typed in recently, but sure, the this is the amount of protection is a function of how many alphabetic right. characters are in the lookup because it's only those that you whose case you can change. I have a domain you know? name for instance 8888 ask Leo, that's the phone number for the radio show, but there's still six alphabetic characters in there plus the .com. Exactly. Plus 9 and plus if you do dub dub dub, that's 12. Well, yeah, yes, and it's like okay, you know, it's free. These right. are free bits. Right. These are bits that nobody was thinking about. Right. It's like, wait a minute, the case bits, they're preserved and they, they don't matter. So let's make them matter in terms of matching on the, on the verifying the response because they already don't matter 
over at, at the query end where the, na- where the name server, the authoritative name server, ignores the case, as we already know. You can put in capital GRC.com or lowercase GRC.com. The query typically goes out with that case preserved, and it comes back the same way. It just hasn't mattered until now. Right. We make it matter, and then our own use of DNS is much more difficult to spoof. That's just a tremendous hack. It is. I mean, you say it's extra bits. I mean, it's not. Ex, I mean, it's not ex, exactly bits. I mean, I guess well, it is if you were going to if you were going to try to brute force it. It's quite a few bits. Yeah. Well, well, your, your replies would then have to to be case be sensitive, rand, randomly upper and lower casing all of the ASCII right. also, and hope that you get a collision. Well, so now you've got to get a match of port number and transaction right. ID and every single character that every every ascii character in the query doubles the difficulty right. so if that's if that's 12 ascii characters that's double double 12 times is 4096 times more difficult <laughs> that's good so you know yeah it's really cool it's helpful wow that's neat somebody's really kind of thinking out of the box there to come up with that i like that a lot and it's yeah, I mean, and what I what, the thing I like about it too is again when this is an, is, is is implemented in Bind, I, I know that in our own user groups you've got a lot of people running Bind, and they're you know they're not happy. For example, maybe their NAT router is messing up source port randomization, so they still feel too vulnerable. They could compile a version of Bind with this on, with w- with the zero x twenty hack turned on, and just them get more spoofability protection and nobody else needs to change anything else on the internet. Wow. That's really neat. neat. That's it really is neat. neat. Yeah. Steve, you've done it again, my friend. You've come up with a very interesting show all about uh, DNS and potential flaws. Uh, you know, it's a, it's it's as you said before, it's a seesaw battle back and forth always. Nobody gets the upper hand forever. That's true. Yeah. But this, you know, but it's it's People are now worrying after hearing this, the, the Russian physicist, you know, hacked his own local server on a gig E in 10 hours. It's like, okay, DNS is too important for yes. us, yes. you know, not to do so. Now, if nothing else, this whole drama over the last month could provide necessary steam for DNS sec. That is, ultimately, incorporating public key technology into DNS will really strengthen it. I mean, may make it, you know, as strong as it arguably needs to be. But the problem is it's been so expensive in terms of what, you know, the overhead that DNSSEC brings that it ha- just hasn't happened yet. So the, the, the least that'll happen is people are thinking, oh, you mean that it's still not fixed? It's better, but it's still not fixed? And it's like, yes, it's not ultimately fixable. All we can do is raise the bar. So using case in, our, in, our, in the query names raises the bar right, right. You know, substantially. Right. Um, you know, for example, it raises it more than Microsoft's own port randomization change did. Because reportedly, they only pre-allocate 2,500 oh. ports. It means they're only giving us another 10 bits. We can get, you know, we can get that much using case sensitivity easily. Wow. So wow. it's a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. And uh, and next week we're going to do a question and answer session. But the week after, let's talk about DNSSEC, why don't we? Yeah, is that what we want to do next time? No, remember, a uh, week after next, we want to talk about the interesting presentation at Black Hat where 
these guys have bypassed Vista's. Oh, that's right. We got to do that. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, then we'll do a DNS sec later. Yep. But I think that's worth talking to. Yeah, we don't want to get too DNS heavy. And I think this Vista thing is more. See, the thing about this DNS is it's not an end user problem. There's nothing you can do about it except to encourage your ISP to do it. Oh, uh, uh, but Leo, I mean, the reason I wanted to spend another episode on this is the end users are really freaking out. Right. I mean, it's so. not something not something they can fix but it's something they want to understand and for example have their general level of spoofability awareness raised it's like wait a minute is this really ebay.com i am going to actually check my my security certificate nobody's rather than doing that assume it's okay i'm not even doing that and these and these exploits are in the wild now yes yes this is now being actively exploited there is there is um out in the blogs there are all kinds of reports of these tools being employed against weak servers. Wow. Oh, the bad guys, they are bad. But uh, Steve Gibson is here. There's no need to fear. Steve is here. His, uh, his website is grc.com. Great security stuff there. He's working on a new security program. It's going to be very cool. I look forward to that. But you can also find Shields Up, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator, and even Wismo, a great little gadget for your desktop, XP or Vista. Uh, all at grc.com. He's spin right, of course, is the, the obvious choice there. It's a must-have, the must-have hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. I'm going to have a spin right fest right after the show today. Yes, it sounds like you are, Leo. <laughs> a That'd lot be of great. spinning to do, and uh, you'll and you'll also find 16 kilobit versions of the show and uh, and uh, transcriptions too at grc.com. Very and I interesting. Remember, I remind our listeners that grc.com/feedback. Is the is where to go to send me questions, which I scan through in preparing our every other week Q and A episodes. So, uh-huh. grc.com/feedback. Our uh, first Q, our first Q and A episode of our fourth year. Of the fourth year. <laughs> so that's unbelievable, mind boggling. You know, it's funny too because uh, we are dealing with much more sophisticated stuff as time goes by. Things like this DNS stuff is pretty sophisticated. Um, but that's that, cool. That's what we do. Thank yeah. you. That's what Steve does. I just sit here and go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I understand. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Leo. Talk to you next week. Security now.